This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Ben back. He pumps. Oh. Throws a pass. It's picked off at the 43. With the football, Chris Harris Jr. across midfield. And he's not tackled, but he gets to the 43-yard line. I mean, they did enough to win the game, you know, at the same time. Um, we got to get more turnovers on defense. <clears throat> they keep winning the turnover battle, you know. I think we want to protect the ball a little better, but at the same time on defense, we got to be able to get the ball out, got to be able to create some turnovers, some picks, some uh, forced fumbles. So, um, you know, I think we got to just do better on that and creating turnovers. Well, at the beginning of his press conference today, Mike Tomlin said that when you turn the ball over, you can somewhat mitigate that if you are getting turnovers in return. Conversely, if you're not getting any turnovers, then the turnovers you do commit are a much bigger deal. They're not advisable at any point on offense, but at least you can minimize the impact if you're taking the ball away. That has not been the case for the Steelers. We talked about that yesterday, that they are a minus 7 in the turnover ratio, it's one of the worst marks in the NFL, and it's the worst mark of any winning team, any team with a winning record in the NFL. So as you view the Steelers, and we understand that that's a problem, they've turned it over too often, but again, it makes it more impactful when you're not getting any. What's the bigger problem, the amount of turnovers that the Steelers are committing or the lack of turnovers that they are committing. When we look at the last two weeks, the Steelers' offense has not been as productive. I'm talking about points scored. I understand they had 527 yards, and that's good when we look at their offense's overall ranking. But they pay off in points. If it was a battle of yards, the Steelers would have not only won, but covered by a 2-1 to one margin. They even would have been covering all the teasers out there. But when you look at the Jacksonville game and you look at the Denver game, both on the road, the offense has not scored. They have been stymied in the first half. And were it not for the fake field goal, they would have been like the Jacksonville game, virtually punchless, at least crossing the goal line. When you look at the last two games... Is the offense regressing? Or was it just a matter of the turnovers? Let's remember that there were three turnovers against Jacksonville in addition to the four. Ray Fittipaldo in the Post-Gazette today wrote a terrific article about the Steelers not only in the red zone, but in the reddest portion of the red zone, meaning near the goal line. If you haven't read it, Check it online. They don't print on Tuesdays, one of America's great newspapers. But check it out online. It really details the problems that the Steelers are having near the goal line. Now, if you look at red zone offense, the Steelers have done very well. They're doing much better than they have in the past. But if you look at inside the 10, inside the 7, their turnover ratio there, or the amount of turnovers, are significant. And that leads us to talking about not only the execution, 
but play calling. Maybe we don't complain enough when plays we don't like work and say, well, it worked. But that can come back and bite you because you begin to get a false sense of security. Ray will join me today at 120 talking about the play calling on the goal line. Ray, check the article, is saying maybe it's time to be a little bit more Neanderthal. Maybe it's time to go more of a caveman offense when you get close to the goal line instead of always trying to pass. Also today, after Cleveland beat Cincinnati in Cincinnati and beat them badly, Hugh Jackson, their former head coach, came across to shake Baker Mayfield's hand, and Mayfield blew him off. He shook his hand, but he kind of blew him off. And then in a press conference after the game, somebody asked him about it, and he said, why would I want to talk to a guy who want, wanted us to play for him, and then now he's on a team that we play twice a year and is trying to beat us. Why would I? Was Baker Mayfield wrong? Well, I think he was, but also he wasn't. I'll explain that. And also, if you still think the Steelers have an opportunity to get a bye, home field advantage, at least for the first playoff game, their biggest obstacle of that may not be Kansas City or New England. It may be the Houston Texans. That's a problem. 412-922-2874. Pound 970 on your cell. You can email me, Stan Saverin, at iHeartMedia.com. You can post on Facebook, Saverin on Sports, or tweet, at Stan Love the Show. We've got our lineup printed on there. Matthew says on Facebook, some players are making poor choices when they have the ball. Why run him over when clearly a cut to the right and you can waltz into the end zone with the catch? Connor didn't have to try and jump over the defender. Ben throwing in the end zone. So maybe the philosophy is fine. It's the execution. But there are turnovers nonetheless. We discussed that at length. Tomlin was saying today in his press conference about the Grimble, he said, just get the ball in the end zone. He said after the game, I'm not interested in being machismo. Grimble suffered a concussion. He's in, he's in protocol. Did it happen on that play? It was a ferocious hit by Will Parks. The one thing about the preponderance of offensive turnovers recently, and in some other games too, let's remember the Kansas City game, Those, it seems to me, are correctable. The bigger problem to me at this point is a defense not forcing turnovers. I mean, how do you do that? Tomlin was asked that today, and he said it's about working on ball awareness. He said we preach that all the time, but we're going to reemphasize that this week in practice. And a question I asked, If you are telling your defenders to be more ball aware, that's a good thing. But if you're preaching to your defenders, hey, when that ball's in the air, go after the interception. Uh, That would seem to be a no-brainer. But sometimes I've seen this in the past. I've seen it a zillion times over the years that I've covered football. When you're telling a defensive back to go and try to intercept the ball, a lot of times they don't get there and it ends up being a reception in 
instead of playing good, sound pass defense. Even a greater problem, it seems to me, if you're trying to cause fumbles, you sometimes get guys looking to tackle the ball and not the man. And that injures your ability to tackle the guy and bring him to the ground. Tackling for the Steelers, by and, yard, by and large, has been much better this year than in years past. It's been a problem in the past. It was early in the season, but it's gotten much better. But if you're teaching your defenders, hey, strip that ball, a lot of times they're tackling the ball instead of the ball carrier or the receiver. Tomlin said he wasn't worried about that. I can teach professionals to do both. Okay. What I'm saying is that neither is acceptable. It is neither acceptable to turn the ball over offensively and not get any on defense. Neither is acceptable. But what's more easily corrected? It seems to me that your offensive turnovers are more easily corrected than an inability to force turnovers. And what really is a problem here and makes it more difficult to solve is that oftentimes defensively, yeah, interceptions are great, but interceptions a lot of times are caused by great pressure on the quarterback, either A, getting in his face, B, forcing him to release the ball before he wants to, or C, making him survey the field. Uh Uh-oh, my first guy's covered, my second guy's covered, and before he gets to the third guy, boom, he's down. They're getting a lot of pressure, and they're getting a lot of sacks, but what they're not doing, and I think this is where most of your defensive turnovers come from, are the strip sacks. In order to get a strip sack, you have to get to the quarterback. They're doing that. That's where you can really create some havoc. Not only that, if you get an interception, that's great. Don't get me wrong. You take that. But if you get a strip sack, unless the interception guy returns at a good distance, you sack the quarterback in his backfield, you get better field position once you get possession of the ball. I don't know how correctable that is. Some guys are just great at it. Joey Porter was great at it. James Harrison was great at it. Greg Lloyd was, maybe he's the best example. He, I don't know if this was a factor or not with him, he studied karate. And when he would get in on a quarterback, I don't know if he utilized that. I believe he did use some martial arts training to knock the ball out. So it's not like they're getting getting good pass rush. I mean, their sack total is way up there in the NFL, right? They were leading going into the Denver game. I haven't seen the league stats yet. They only got two on Sunday. But with that should be some strip sacks. I don't know how you teach your defensive backs to get more interceptions other than to be better defending. Now, it's been an area of improvement, but let's face it. The one defensive back who's most capable of making those plays in coverage is Joe Hayden. The guy who ought to be getting most of the interceptions, it seems to me, is your free safety. He's the center fielder. 
He's able to roam and double people, and they're not getting any of that. As far as the offense regressing, you know, a lot was made of the Jacksonville defense, and their numbers were pretty good, but they were a team that was falling apart. And you give the Steelers, as you look at the Jacksonville game, they were flat. And they managed to pull it out, but they did nothing offensively. And the truth of the matter is they did very little offensively in terms of scoring points until the fake field goal. And I was watching the game. I'm sure you were too. And you're sitting there thinking they're dominating, and they're not. They had three points. And they created plenty of offense. But that used to be a big problem in past years. Their ranking in terms of yards gained was way up there, but their red zone performance was weak. Well, this year their red zone performance has been pretty good, but. Again, if the ball's at the 19, that's considered their red zone, as it is if it's at the 3. So those numbers can be a little bit distorted. The Steelers' red zone numbers, much better than they have been in the past, but what are they once they get inside, let's say, the 5-yard line? They're not as good. And that's one of the things that Ray Fittipaldo was talking about today in his article, which he's going to discuss with us momentarily. As for the Steelers, biggest problems? Drain tweets, yeah, a little from column A, a little from column B. I guess he's ordering lunch. Harry tweets and said, I think the offense is working fine, but turnovers have killed them. Ben should have never thrown the ball. It was going to be picked uh, picked off as A.B. was covered up. I wish they'd have run on third and goal. Broncos were expecting a pass. Well, you know what? When it's third and goal from the three, I, I think you need to pass there. Where they didn't need to pass was on first and goal. That's the issue. One of the things the Chargers have done well and one of the things that the Steelers are going to have to be aware of is that they average over San Diego, excuse me, I get fined a dollar every time I say San Diego. At least in really, I can say stay classy San Diego, but I can't say San Diego Chargers. One of the things they do, they average over seven yards on first downs. So what does that tell you about their third down conversion rate? You know, if it's third and, if they ever get to third down, if it's third and two, as opposed to third and nine. Isaac said, tweets, Steelers have shot themselves in the foot inside the five through the Brown Bell era consistently. They never take the easy points. You have a great O-line and a power back. Run the ball three or four times. Why shovel pass on first? Why screen on first? Run. Absolutely, Isaac. Isaac Newton never had a better thought. Exactly. And the numbers back it up. Ray Fittipaldo of the Post-Gazette joins me next. Check it out. Read the column online. He'll explain. That's next. Saverin on Sports. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Man. 
on second and goal. Throws. Oh, oh, it's intercepted in the end zone. Shelby Harris. They had a little trouble with the exchange. He took the ball out of James Conner's stomach. And then, in the meantime, rolled up and fired. And sagging back in coverage, the nose tackle, Shelby Harris, intercepts. And the Steelers' hopes of coming back here have just been dashed in a very loud fashion. Once I got the snap, it was just, it was, you go from a run pass option to hitting A.B. And A.B. was, he was coming. It just, I never would have thought that guy would have made that play. Did you think Brown was there? I, I thought so. I mean, I haven't seen it in replay, but I, I threw it to the place I thought he was going to be able to make the play. Roethlisberger said on his radio show this morning that A.B. didn't run the route properly, didn't run it flat enough coming across the middle. Um, probably never should have come to that Anyway, and we're talking about third down, what happened on first down uh, may have been an issue. And let's go back to the Jacksonville game where, frankly, uh, Ben barely, barely, barely uh, got into the end zone. We're joined now by Ray Fittipaldo. He covers the Steelers for the Post-Gazette. Ray, thanks for joining me. Um, a terrific piece in the PG. I've already told people to go and read it. Um, in general, let's just start globally here. What did you discover in talking about their red zone offense? Well, first and foremost, Dan, uh, the red zone interceptions are the biggest problem. Ben has four this year, the most of any quarterback in the NFL. And as you listen to Tomlin just uh, just a little while ago, they have to get that cleaned up, and they got to clean, get it cleaned up pretty quickly. Um, I'll also add in that uh, going from the shotgun and just going with regular personnel, um, it's working for a lot of teams in the goal line. It's not working for the Steelers this year, and certainly not in the last two games. So they have a great fullback in Rosie Nix. Um, they got some good tight ends that they can line up and ask to block or run routes. So I would like to see a little bit more heavier personnel mixed in there on the goal line. I'm not saying every snap, but I think they can certainly use a little bit of variety uh, when they get down there next time. Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, they do it on, you know, third and short, fourth and short when they go for it. Uh, you know, one of the things that Tomlin said today, Ray, I'm sure you heard, well, you know, we do what the defense allows us. It would seem to me that based on how often the Steelers pass uh, near the goal line, that teams are set up for that, not necessarily stacked in against the run. So I, I would imagine the Steelers can't use that argument. No, and if you listen to, uh, to Ben's show today, Stan, um, I think he said almost all of those, or 75% of those calls on the goal line on that final sequence were a run pass option. So it, it's like anything, though. I mean, you, you know, ben, ben has the authority. He's been in this league a long time. He could change almost any play that he receives from Manny Fickner, um based on something he sees. So, you know, a lot of these plays, you know, Ben is checking into, the, into them himself. And you can't argue with what he's doing in the middle of the field. I mean, they are just wildly successful with him um, as an offense going up and down the field. I just think for whatever reason, they're bogging down, um, not so much in the red zone, in the goal line scenarios, once they get inside the 10, things just haven't been clicking for them. And you know, with the schedule coming up, Stan, uh, the Chargers on Sunday, uh, the Patriots uh, in a couple of weeks, and then the Saints, they're going to be they're going to have to be on their details um, to score touchdowns in those games because those teams um, are some of the best in the league and they're really good on defense too. 
Yeah, they're also very good on offense. So you're going to have to score 30 points. Chances are, uh, no matter how well your defense plays, you're going to have to score points uh, to beat teams like that because of their prolific offenses. I, I just wanted to clarify something, Ray. Um, the understanding is, I think the stats bear it out, that the Steelers uh, in the red zone are much more productive uh, with Randy Feekner than they were uh, Todd Haley. But your analysis is from what, the 10 in? I mean, does the, yeah. does the percentages, do the percentages change dramatically once they get inside the 10, let's say? Well, let, let me clarify. They are much better with Randy and goal line efficiency even though I think they're scoring about the same amount um, uh, as they were under Todd Haley. So, in other words, they're not getting down there as much as they were under Haley, but they're much more efficient, um, and they're punching those in for touchdowns um, better than they were last year. Now, the goal line numbers, I tend to look at those, Dan. Um, those are not readily available um, uh, with the NFL stats packages. Uh, I usually have to take steps to request those from the league. They do have goal line um, offense efficiency numbers, but I tend to look at those after the season, and uh, that's not something I, you know, I typically um, look at during the season. So there are numbers out there, but I, I can tell you undoubtedly their goal line efficiency is not number two in the league just based off the last two games. They, they just haven't, haven't been good down there. And, uh, you know, like Tomlin said, they, they got to clean up. I, you know, I, I, the play calling is one thing. I, I just think the turnovers and maybe making better decisions down there, too, I, I think that would go a long way toward, you know, sort of solving some of their issues down there. I would imagine, again, if a lot of these are run-pass options, um, a quarterback, I mean, he wants to win the game, he wants to get in the end zone, but, you know, left to his own devices, any quarterback is going to prefer to throw the ball. Um, I'm, I'm, I was talking with Tunch yesterday uh, on the air as he called the game. On the first down play, which was an RPO, and they threw the incomplete pass, um, James Conner could have waltzed into the end zone. Um, is Ben culpable for some uh, incorrect reads in some of these situations? Well, he certainly could be. Uh, he, he, when I listened to him today, he sounded very confident in that read to, to Juju. He said he had one-on-one coverage, and um, he just didn't put the ball um, where he needed to put that ball. Um, but certainly, Stan, Randy Feetner and Ben could be having that conversation right now or this week about, hey, Listen, I'm going to call a running play. Don't check out of it. Let's see what we can get, and then we'll, you know, we'll reevaluate on, on on second or third down. So those are always options for the coordinator. But you know, as I spoke to earlier, um, Ben has so much freedom within this offense under Randy. And I think that's a good thing because he normally gets them into the best plays. It's just a different animal when you when you get near the goal line. It's very very hard to score when you get down there. And I, I just think sometimes running the ball um, and running it from different packages might be a better option um, when your quarterback is struggling to, to see the field down there. I like the way he's seeing the field normally. I mean, he's seeing the field nor- uh, great normally for most of the game. He's just not seeing it well, um, you know, when they're down inside the 10 right now. Ray Fittipaldo of the Post-Gazette is our guest on Saverdown Sports. 
Ray, I agree with you a thousand percent. Uh, I've been saying this for as long as I've been watching football. Unless you're at the nine and three quarter yard line, first and goal, uh, to me, I'm I'm almost never going to pass on first down because if you don't complete the pass, then you're almost obligated to 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 pass on second and third. Uh, whereas you run the ball, you pick up half the distance. Now at least the defense is not quite sure what you're going to do, which leads me to the question. Do you think that they have lost a bit of confidence in James Conner based on the amount of carries he got, uh, based on the lack of production the last two weeks? Well, they shouldn't, and I don't think they do stand. I think their entire game plan on Sunday, um, you know, from 20 to 20, it was really good. They moved the ball almost at will. Um, you know, the, the Grimble fumble and the Conner fumble on that pass were two huge plays in that game. So, um, you know, I'm not going to fault them uh, for throwing the ball the way they did um, in that game. Um, you know, Connor hasn't put up the yardage uh, that he had, you know, earlier in, this, in that winning streak that they had. Um, but I don't think there's any reason to go away from him, Stan. Um, he's, he's fumbled four times this year. He's lost two of them. Um, that's not good, but I don't see that as a reason um, to not go to him in the future. You have to use him now. Le'Veon Bell's not coming back. He's obviously their number one back. You got to use him. You got to ride him. And if he makes another mistake, you reevaluate. But I, I just don't think at this point um, that there is any reason for them not to have confidence in the kid. I think he's played really well all season for the most part. Uh, I agree. I, you know, the one thing I do wonder. Uh, if they've not lost confidence in him, has he lost a bit of confidence in himself? Uh, maybe the game last week against Jacksonville, uh, they did a good job defensively uh, against the running game in general. Uh, but Sunday, they Connor was averaging over four yards per carry. It's not as though he were averaging one point eight and said, "Yeah, we can't." You know, they're they're stacking against the run. Um, I, and again, maybe this is ad, taking two and two and adding up to five, but the last two weeks, maybe that's just part of the normal course of a season, but those two games were coming off a concussion. No, and I agree with you. And I, I, you know, I'd like to point out, um, you know, when I talk about getting into heavy personnel down by the goal line, that doesn't mean you have to run into a brick wall if they're, they're stacking the line. I mean, you can slip a fullback um, out into a route near the goal line you could have your, your tight ends run different routes down there. You could even have a, a heavy package with, um, you know, someone like Juju as your wideout. He could run a pattern, too. So there are all sorts of different options that, that you could have down there, Stan. But when you have a fullback in the game down there, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to run, even though I think we both agree that, you know, that would be a pretty good option for the Steelers, given the way, um, you know, the past two weeks have unfolded for them down there. Yeah, undoubtedly. Uh, talk about the turnovers in general. Um, we're looking at, you know, seven in the last two weeks. Uh, they were yep. lucky to get out of Jacksonville. They they won a game they should have lost, and they lost the game they should have won. Maybe that uh, all evens out. When we look at the amount of interceptions and we look at the turnover ratio, Ray, I've asked the listeners today, uh, what's the bigger problem, uh, the amount of turnovers they're committing or the lack of the defense not creating turnovers, in your view? Well, I mean, it's both. But if I had to pick one, um, I would go with the offense just because I, I think um, Randy and Mike can talk with Ben and say, hey, listen, we're just going to be a little bit more careful with the ball. If you have any doubt, throw it away and you know we'll, we'll live to, to, to see another day. Um, 
You know, Sam, one thing that Ben said on his radio show, radio show today that was a little bit, uh, I don't want to say concerning, but it was, you know, insightful for me. Um, you remember the pass to Switzer in the back of the end zone that was picked late yep. in that game in Jacksonville, right? That was yep. nullified because of the penalty. He trusted the official to make the call. He said that first interception in the middle of the field to Chris, Chris Harris got, he was trusting the official again to make a defensive holding call because he felt that, that Brown was, was held back in his route and he went ahead and made that throw. So sometimes if, you, if you're always putting your trust into the officials to make the correct call, I don't know if you're going to be right all the time. It just seems like some of these throws, I'm not going to say he was lucky that the game didn't end you know, with that Jacksonville pick, but I don't know. Is that a 50-50 call? They seemed to huddle up for a long time there before they actually came to a consensus and, and decided it was right and it was the right call. But I just, you know, that's one trend to look for there, Stan, is if you're always trusting the, in, the, in the officials to, to do their job correctly and you're putting balls out there in the middle of the field, I, I think some of those are going to get picked. And I think that's also something that they have to, you know, sort of look at this week to see if, uh, you know, to see if that's, uh, you know, smart on their part. That's an excellent point. Um, uh, there was they're going to miss some of those. Uh, I, I thought that uh, on the first drive, uh, Vance McDonald, I think it led to the blocked field goal, but Vance McDonald was held uh, on a play. That you, right. You're right. Yep. You you cannot you cannot uh, rely on that. I, I'm wondering about you know a defense. You want the defense to turn. Well, let me just get one more thing about the offense, and that is, do you think uh, in a, on a lot of occasions it's a matter of Ben? forcing the ball to Antonio Brown. Look, as great as Juju was on Sunday, and he's been excellent, you know, you have to admit that part of that is because that Brown is taking away a lot of the coverage. Do you think that a lot of the interceptions that have been thrown by Ben are a result of him trying to force the ball to Antonio Brown too much? Well, if you just look at the numbers, I, you know, I'd have a hard time arguing otherwise. If you go back to you know, the, the other two he had in Jacksonville that you know, the one that Ramsey picked off in the end zone and then the one diving great play in the middle of the field, yeah. Um, but also, you know, I don't want to defend Ben, but when, when James Washington isn't making plays for you and you can't go to Juju every time, I mean, they're targeting Juju, I think, more than they're targeting Antonio this year based on the coverages, but you can't go to Juju all the time either. either. So there are circumstances when you do have to try to fit it in there to your best receiver, but I think overall in the bigger picture, Stan, it's, they don't have a number three receiver right now, and I think that's probably a bigger problem than you know we were led on to understand because they were winning during the six-game win streak, but you know this situation with Washington and Hunter and you know Hayward Bay, I guess, it's not a good one, and they really need someone to step up there because they could use someone to take the pressure off Juju and Antonio right now. I, I totally agree. I've been talking about that since the first week of the season. Um, by the way, Alejandro Villanueva, uh, in case you're wondering, has more touchdown catches than Martavis Bryant, in case you uh, are, <laughs> are wondering about that. Uh, you know, I did ask Tomlin today at the press conference, will James Washington get a hat on Sunday night? Um, and he just said, oh, I haven't really thought about that. Uh, not that Justin Hunter is a viable alternative, but it, it just seems to me, and I'm not giving up on James Washington, Ray, it's too early to do that, but I remember them saying about Lima Swede, the moment's too big for him. Right now, right. the moment is too big for James Washington. Yeah, I mean, it, it's looking that way. He just doesn't look like he has any confidence. 
um, in himself. I, you know, I, I think Ben was right. I think if he runs under that ball, he runs up the sideline and, you know, he scores a touchdown. So you're right, Stan. Uh, Justin Hunter probably isn't a, a, a great option at this point, but they've won with Justin Hunter in the past. Justin Hunter made a great play uh, to help them get a, get a win in Cincinnati. Um, you know, at the beginning of this streak. So maybe they'll go back to Hunter, but uh, you can't give up on James Washington. He's having a really, really tough time now, but uh, they've got to go back to him at some point, and, you know, maybe it will be later in the season, and maybe the kid can, you know, come up and make a good play for you. Yeah, they sat him down uh, at least on one occasion earlier this year, uh, maybe to get his attention. Well, I imagine, um, I, I, I get the sense Tomlin never wants to commit about who's going to get a hat or not because he wants them to be motivated through the week of practice. If he tells me today that Washington's going to get a helmet on Sunday night, then maybe that lessens his incentive, whereas if he's not sure if he's going to dress, that may incentivize him to have a good week of practice and show that he belongs uh, in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, Tomlin's big on that. He's big on having guys practice during the week to to get on that 46-man um, game day roster. We, we've seen it in, in, in the past with other positions, and um, anytime you can have healthy competition like that during the week, um, even though you're only practicing really once hard all week, even though um, you know you only have that one opportunity, I, I do think it's good, and especially for young guys, um, to sort of earn those spots on a weekly basis. All right, Ray. Again, an outstanding piece today. Again, I urge everyone to go to postgazette.com and read it. I mean, it, it says an awful lot. Uh, you know, like someone once said, there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. But these statistics aren't lies or damn lies or otherwise. Uh, great job, Ray. Thanks very much. Appreciate the time, and uh, I'll see you Sunday night. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it. Okay, Ray. Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Uh, the Browns surprised a lot of people, certainly those in Cincinnati, by really blowing out the Bengals. Uh, it's 35-20, to 20, but it was 28 to nothing and 35-7. to 7. Um, And after the game, former Browns head coach Hugh Jackson sought out Baker Mayfield to shake his hand. Mayfield shook his hand but kind of blew him off and then explained why he didn't want to talk to him. Um, was he right to do that? Probably not, but then again, probably he was right. I'm looking at both sides of that. Plus, as you look at this bigger picture for the Steelers, it may not be the Chiefs or Kansas City, excuse me, Kansas City or the Patriots that keep the Steelers from a bye or home field advantage, at least in one game. It might be the Houston Texans. That's coming up next, plus this date in sports history and birthdays. All ahead, we're broadcasting from the Steelers facility on the south side. It's Saverin on Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Left Cleveland goes down to Cincinnati. I don't know. It's just somebody that was in our locker room asking for us to play for him and then goes to a different team. We play twice a year. Everybody can have their spin on it, but that's how I feel. That is Baker Mayfield talking about why he kind of Chose not to engage his former head coach, Hugh Jackson, in conversation. Uh, You probably saw the clip of it. I'll re-explain the scenario. Uh, The Browns blow out the Bengals. Mayfield threw four touchdown passes. And, of course, his first head coach was Hugh Jackson. He got fired. And after the game, Hugh Jackson, who's now coaching as a defensive assistant, uh, things didn't go well for the Bengals' defense. Uh, And Marvin Lewis is a defensive guy, too, by the way. Uh, 
Hugh Jackson sought him out, a friendly gesture, and Baker shook his hand, and then he walked away. Was he wrong? Yeah, for this this reason. It's not like Hugh Jackson resigned his position. He was fired by the Browns, and he was offered an opportunity to retain gainful employment status, why would he turn it down? Would there have been a big objection if he would have gone to the Arizona Cardinals um, or the Rams or Seattle? I mean, he had some history in Cincinnati. The organization offered him a job. He worked under Marvin Lewis before. I don't think you can fault him for that. So I thought that Baker Mayfield was wrong in that regard. It's not like Hugh Jackson said, I don't like it here in Cleveland. I'm going to go to Cincinnati and try to. He was fired. Wasn't his choice. So to blame Hugh Jackson for taking the job in Cincinnati, I thought Baker Mayfield was wrong. But, big but, not physically. I'll put a comma there, maybe a semicolon. What Baker Mayfield essentially is saying that people have been dogging the Browns, no pun intended, for a long time, justifiably. I mean, they've been the worst franchise in the NFL, maybe the worst franchise in all of professional sports. And what Baker Mayfield was saying is, you're not going to stomp on us anymore. You're not going to kick us anymore. We're getting better. We're going to be better, and anyone who's not on the train, we're not going to be buddies with you anymore. He was saying that there's a new era of Cleveland Browns football. Now, I don't know whether beating a Bengals team that has quit necessarily represents a huge step in the right direction, but for the Browns, who've now got four wins, which quadruples what they've gotten in the previous two seasons, I get what he's saying. He's making a statement. We're mad as hell, and we're not going to take it anymore. And so don't expect me to buddy up to a guy who's now an enemy, football enemy, not personal enemy. So I do think that that is the foundation on what Mayfield decided to do. Again, maybe his anger is misguided. I mean, all Hugh Jackson did was get fired and take another job. By the way, something else that strikes me about that particular situation, and that is this. Hugh Jackson is still being paid by the Cleveland Browns. He had to settle his contract. Now, maybe they just gave him one lump sum. Generally, it's made in payments. And if they paid him in one lump sum, here's whatever it is you were owed, then fine. But as is sometimes the case when coaches are fired, it's made in payments. And if that was the case, here are the Browns still paying an assistant head coach for on a team on the other sideline trying to beat them. There's something wrong with that. Now, maybe if a guy is still employed, they deduct the amount the Bengals are paying him from what the Browns own, but that's not the point. The point is, if you're still getting a paycheck – and now you're coaching or playing against that team, there's something wrong about that. It seems to me that that should not happen. 
unless all financial ties are completed. That just seemed a wise thing to do to me. I don't know if you watched the Houston game last night. I did not. But the Texans win their, well, they won 15, 18, 30 in a row now? Eight. And we're talking about home field for the Steelers, potentially. Although Dave says this team is no, in no way is getting home field, zero chance. I wouldn't put it quite that low. But the fact is it may not be Kansas City or New England. It might be Houston because when you look at their remaining schedule, it's pretty cushy. After beating Tennessee last night, they have Cleveland at home, Indy at home. Maybe not as easy, but they're at the Jets, they're at the Eagles, and they finish the season at home to Jacksonville. Uh, it's sitting pretty good for them. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio.